The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, viewers and listeners. British Columbia is but a speck on the global GDP map. We are zero, yes, 0.3%. In other words, not very significant, says economist Jock Finlayson. He goes on to point out that our place in the world isn't about to change. In fact, it's probably going to slip. We are entering a lost decade of real per capita GDP growth, which means growing real salaries will be challenging. Thankfully, it's not all doom and gloom, however. BC does have some strengths. Finlayson says steady immigration is creating a positive consumer-faced economic setting. We have an educated workforce. There are positive and in some cases very positive signs in the life sciences and tech sectors. BC has a strong and exceptionally diverse natural resources economy and importantly we are the gateway to Asia. So that's the good news. Now on the other side of the balance sheet, Finlayson points out we're a long way from the economic, political and financial power centers of Canada. The cost of housing here is staggering. BC has the highest household debt burden in all of Canada. And when it comes to head office uh, jobs, there are few. And then add in nimbyism, which makes getting anything done difficult. I invited Jock Finlayson to join me for a conversation that matters about BC's economy now and for the foreseeable future. Jock? Thanks for the opportunity. You summarized it well. <laughs> I don't know whether or not to be hopeful or to be scared, or is it better to be kind of both, but to, to understand what you need to be hopeful about and where we can build and what we need to be scared about and what we need to try and adjust so that that doesn't take us further down uh, the economic uh, scale. Well, let, let me just say a lot of the strengths and the weaknesses that you enumerated for BC that I wrote about also apply to Canada, and, mm -hmm. and it's useful to think of, of the, the challenges and the opportunities we face as a province within that larger Canadian construct, because they're obviously, they're obviously linked. But, uh, but it, is, it is certainly true that BC is a, is a speck uh, mm -hmm. in, in the global economy. Canada is about 2% of, of the world in terms of economic output uh, or consumption, um, and BC, of course, is about 11 or 12 percent of Canada, so it's small. And one thing that that we do try and encourage among our policymakers and other people in the in the chattering classes is to realize that in many ways we live or die by our ability to export as a province because we're a sort of classic small open economy. So we pay at the Business Council of BC, my colleagues and I, we pay a lot of attention to the the export part of the economy. What what does it consist of? How is it performing? What are the growth opportunities? And exports tell you where you have an, a competitive advantage in the world, almost by definition, because if you didn't have some sort of competitive advantage, you wouldn't be able to export whatever the goods or services are. So we kind of encourage our, our government uh, leaders to really focus intently on the export basket that makes up our, a large part of our economy here and what government can do to sort of improve the environment for exports. That, in many ways, for a small place like BC, will be the acid test of, of how we perform. So traditionally, uh, I've looked at uh, the forestry sector as being one of the great centers of export, and also uh, natural resources from uh, 
you know, materials that are in the ground, be they rocks and minerals and so on, or oils and gases. Um, we seem to have a love-hate uh, relationship with all of those sectors and there are many, many government policies that are curtailing our ability to maximize our returns. Yeah. Is this a dangerous path for us to be going down? Yeah, I think the challenge for our, I, I have quite a bit of sympathy for the difficulties that our government leaders face in trying to you know, thread the needle on a lot of these issues. We have, an, we have a population and an electorate that's increasingly urban concentrated really in the Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, Capital Region districts. Um, and those are regions of the province where this connection into the natural resource economy isn't quite as visible as it might be in Quinnell or you know, Campbell River or Fort St. John. So one of the <laughs> strange features of our political economy in British Columbia is that a large part of what we produce that we can export comes out of regions of BC where very few people live and very few voters are present. So we're, we're losing in the policy world, I think, the historical connection that we used to have between that natural resource economy on the one hand and the, the focus and priorities of our government leaders on the other. I think it's a real struggle. You certainly see that in the current administration of Victoria where very, very few people sitting around the cabinet table are actually from constituencies where there's a visible presence of natural resource industries. And that's that's mm -hmm. not the fault of the government. It's kind of a structural feature of our, our environment now. Well, it's one of the challenges of having an export economy. It gets bundled up somewhere in some remote community, gets put on a train onto a ship and, you know, moves through the night yeah. so often the average person doesn't see it. But but what they do realize, of course, is that we've got an outsized quality of life here based on the overall strength of our economy and our place in the world and is based on the strength of those exports. At some point, uh, if we keep seeing the curtailment of those exports, is it going to then start to put a wide variety of other stresses and strains on society and on government yeah. to be able to d deliver the program? I think so it's already happening, uh, to, be, to be candid, because the, the business environment for a lot of our resource extraction and processing uh, industries. By the way, resources also make up, uh, resource-based goods make up a majority of our manufacturing output as well. So it's not just the primary extraction. Um, but uh, yeah, we're B we are really challenged uh, in, uh, in BC to attract new investment into some of these sectors for a whole bunch of different reasons. But the policy environment is certainly, well, I would certainly include among them because we do make it difficult, more difficult than a lot of other places in the world to deploy capital to grow a business in, in the natural resource economy, even though we have a very attractive resource basket. I mean, you know, between energy, minerals and metals, including cr critical minerals that a lot of the politicians are yapping about these days, uh, agri-food, which is actually a, a, a really rapidly growing part of the economy here, uh, renewable energy, oil and gas, and then of course the whole forestry industry uh, across, the, across the spectrum of forestry they remain quite foundational here. Now, it's not everything. Resources are 45%. We just did a study updating the, uh, the, res the export basket in BC. Resources in aggregate are 45% of BC's total exports, mm. uh, international uh, exports. Manufacturing is 10, uh, non-resource manufacturing is 10%. And a very broad array of service industries make up the other 45. So we're not, it's not all about resources. Resources are important. 
and we certainly do have some comparative advantages historically in, in that part of the economy. But we are seeing pretty strong growth in some other parts of, of, of the export economy, including the services. So that gives me some actual mm -hmm. hope that that we're, we're going to be able to make our way in the world because uh, we have some new engines, if you will, that are making a contribution. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a Patreon supporter. Thank you to Audlin Brown and BD Developments for their support. Well, Premier Eby uh, has, uh, I think, glommed on to, and maybe that's the right term, <laughs> the life sciences and to a certain extent the high-tech sectors. He really believes that maybe we have an opportunity to create an advantage there. Is he correct? Well, I think it's encouraging that, uh, that the Premier is paying attention uh, to, to that part of the economy. Uh, biotech life sciences is, is it's not the largest slice of the BC high-tech economy, but it is probably the most dynamic at the moment. And uh, uh, we, you know, we have built uh, a pretty strong pipeline in the life sciences space. I know you've had people on the program who know a lot more about it than I do. But we start with the excellence of the research enterprise, the upstream part of the industry, which is really in the universities and the related research institutions where BC punches above its weight. I used to be on the board of Genome BC, for example, mm -hmm. and uh, Genome BC used to provide data showing that we outperformed other provinces on a per capita basis in attracting investment into genomics-related ac activities. So that's just you know kind of one example. We've got some companies like Stem Cell and Abcellera and others that uh, are making their way quite successfully from here, and we've got lots of smaller firms. So BC, I think. Uh, and, and being on the west coast of North America is probably an advantage as well because there are very strong biotech clusters uh, in the San Diego area as well as in you know, Seattle and the Bay Area. So we can kind of benefit from the, the, the linkages that exist uh, along the west coast. So yeah, I think we have some growth opportunities. It isn't going to transform the whole economy um, because it's a very, very small mm -hmm. slice of the total economy and an even smaller share of what we export. So. You know, our, our decision makers need to have a sense, you know, I like to say all fractions have numerators but also denominators. So it's important to pay attention to both. <laughs> so you can have very rapid growth in a very small sector and it, it's great for the, the companies and the people that are directly involved in it. But it doesn't necessarily transform a $300 billion provincial economy. That's a much longer term kind of phenomenon. Well, yeah, and it kind of leads to my next question, which is a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, one, when it comes to these sectors, especially in life sciences and tech, we're, we're good incubators. But growing to scale, we seem to run into some challenges. And if we don't start to do that, how then can we hope that we're going to transform the makeup of the, the, the nature of BC's economy? So it's a great question and it feeds into the weakness of the head office, the corporate head office sector as well because we don't, we don't see enough of our BC-based companies scaling to the point where they're even captured in the definition of what a head office is as, as, as defined by uh, Stats Canada in their, their annual survey. So yeah, it's an old story. Uh, it's, a, it's a Canadian phenomenon. It's, not, not, it's particularly noticeable in BC. We've had in my career, there's literally been dozens of technology companies I can remember that were founded by BC entrepreneurs, often people with science engineering backgrounds, funded through friends, family, angel investors locally, sometimes VCs, 
uh, very successful for a period of years, reach a certain size, and then they end up being taken over, often by American acquirers, sometimes by offshore buyers. Um, and we never get the benefit uh, that a place like California's had, for example, where you get these technology giants that r get rooted in your market and then grow you know, rapidly to become sort of global scale firms. We have very few of those. And I think you know, it, there could be some cultural factors, frankly, at play. This is kind of the Vancouver model, mm -hmm. is build scale to a certain degree and then sell out. And I think that's, that's a model, frankly, that's been established here in the tech space for a long time. I think our personal tax structure is a big disadvantage to growing global scale companies here, not just in the tech industry, but elsewhere, because you have to source, the, the, the bigger you get, the more you have to look into global markets to source your talent, to manage your, your operations as they become more complex and sophisticated. It's hard to source that locally because we're a small economy. And people in other jurisdictions look at Canada and BC in particular and say, it's expensive to live, but also you guys tax the daylights out of me uh, once I get above $220,000 a year of income and, and I think I'll, I'll go elsewhere. So I think that's one of the reasons why we have been challenged to scale some of our tech companies. Is It's one thing to have the BC-based entrepreneurs found these firms. They're already here. right? So they've kind of absorbed the tax structure already. But when you're trying to attract people to come in, it's awfully difficult. And in fact, a dirty little secret about the BC tech industry, and you might want to have somebody on the program who would talk about it at a more granular level. We've got a number of our uh, tech companies here that are BC-based tech companies, and the CEOs live in the United States. Um, and for tax purposes. Uh, partly for tax purposes. There may be other personal factors at play. And in today's hyper-connected world, you can make, I suppose you can make that work, but it's not, it's not how you traditionally grow a business. Usually the CEO and the chief financial officer and the key executives are domiciled in the jurisdiction where the head office is. But we see that uh, uh, you know, fragmenting a little bit in BC. I know some other companies as well, not even in the tech business, uh, where senior executives also live in the United States. And it's, you know, there's lots of reasons for it. It's not all tax driven, but tax certainly is, is a factor. So for our governments who in the past decade have ratcheted up personal tax rates to well over 50%, uh, and unlike California, where you got to make a million bucks a year U.S. before you attract the top California tax rate, here you get to less than a quarter of that amount, and you've already hit the top rates. So it's it's not the rates themselves that are necessarily the problem. It's the fact they apply at fairly low thresholds that I think really impedes the growth prospects of some of these companies. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a Patreon supporter. Thank you to Audlin Brown and BD Developments for their support. Well, you actually made an interesting point when you were on our panel for Conversations Live about the economy a few weeks ago, when you pointed out you can get a senior member of the police department who's looking at, oh, okay, I'm going to have to do some overtime on this, uh, you know, over this next little right. period, and that's going to bump me into a tax rate that is equivalent to that that Bill Gates might be playing in Washington in State. Washington State. Yeah, it's a, it's How a is funny that possible. Well, and, basically, and, the U.S. Uh, nine states in America, including our friends right south of the border in Washington, have no state income tax. So the only tax that applies to individuals is the federal personal income tax, and the maximum rate of that is thirty nine percent. 
Uh, whereas here, once you get over you know hundred thousand dollars, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, you're already up to forty percent tax rates. You're not at the very top, but you already encounter these forty percent rates. Wow. So, again, uh, not everybody cares about that, and not you know lots of people locate because they want to live somewhere, or they want, to, or they have a professional reason, and they're willing to pay whatever the tax burden is. But some are not, and so why would you sort of handicap yourself? You know. In a world where we need to be able to source talent outside our borders, that's really important, especially to run and lead our institutions, uh, we make that pretty challenging uh, for, on the, for, for personal tax. And the, the federal government's part of the equation, too. It's not all BC. So you point out, I mean, Washington State's just down there. A couple uh, hours away. And it is an economic powerhouse, and it attracts uh, global talent. Um, and as we pointed out at the top of this segment, we're a small player. Yeah. So how do we then, or what do we need to be able to do so that we can attract the appropriate kind of talent and then also retain those who achieve success here so that they don't go, okay, I'm selling out and I'm gonna now reinvest somewhere else or I'm gonna step back and not, uh, um, you know, uh, become a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, it's not easy because Canada's made uh, a different choice than the United States in terms of the mix of public versus private provision of services, particularly mm -hmm. in healthcare, but also in education. So we've chosen to have a largely publicly funded healthcare system and education system. So taxes are going to be higher here than they are in, in Washington State. That's more or less inevitable. And, and you know, you have to accept that as a given. But I think the first key for, for our decision makers is to, you know, undertake a ruthlessly honest examination of the facts. Uh, my example of a police sergeant in Vancouver doing an overtime shift and bumping up against a higher marginal tax rate than Bill Gates down in Seattle is something our decision makers should be aware of. And in my experience, they're not. They, 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 they tend to they, they tend not to focus on this issue. They think it's just the usual ranting of, of, of people who want low taxes across the board. I'm, I'm actually not in that camp. I, I mean, we have to, you know, we, our, our governments need revenue to, to deliver the services that, that the public wants them to provide. The question is, how do you generate that revenue in a way that does the least damage to your economy and your, particularly your ability to grow your productive capacity, which is what I'm particularly concerned about in the moment. We have economic growth here, but of a lot of it is in industries where we're selling to each other. Right. Uh, you know, like real estate you know, transactions, for example. We're not growing our enough industries here that can sort of increase our wealth through exporting. We've got some, but we need more. Um, and we did another study at the Business Council that showed that both Canada and British Columbia, compared to other advanced economy jurisdictions, We've actually retreated in relative terms from global markets. So our export basket, it's grown, but it's grown more slowly than countries mm -hmm. like Germany or even the US, uh, Japan, and a number of the other Europeans. So <clears throat> that tells me we, we've got kind of an unbalanced economy. We put too much weight on basically consumer activity uh, and the businesses that are tied into that and not enough attention to the industries that can actually generate these export earnings. So that's a bit of a sidebar conversation, but it does factor into what we're talking about. Okay, but it leads to the point, like, if, if we want to be able to pay for all these uh, services that we deem are important to us, and I'm not saying that they're not, 
um, the money has to come from somewhere. And it doesn't come from tax money circulating around in public service jobs. It comes from the creation of private sector jobs. And I note that the number of private sector jobs that are being created in British Columbia has flatlined. Um, is this causing you concern? It is. We, we just wrote a paper recently that looked at the last 12 months, did kind of a deep dive into the labor market data, and we were a bit struck uh, that uh, the private sector payroll jobs have actually diminished by 17,000 in British Columbia in, in, in the 12 months ending in April. Uh, and the public sector employment was up by 5.6%. That's the first one. Uh, second is that was a more dramatic uh, disparity than we saw in other provinces. So BC seemed to be a bit of an outlier on that. And third, we went back to 2019, uh, pre-COVID, and charted the same story. And we discovered that, again, the public sector employment base has grown quite a bit faster than the private. Now, I'm not one to denigrate people who work in the public sector. No. These are important jobs. We, we need them. We probably need more of them in some, in some parts of our, our sprawling public sector. But in the long run, back to your point, we need a thriving, uh, competitive, growing private sector, including a private sector job market here, to provide the resources to pay for that. And there are some early signs, um, and you know, one year's data is not enough to, I think, reach definitive conclusions on this. But there are some early signs that we're that we're out of kilter, that we're we're relying too much on an expanding public sector to grow the pie. So that is a concern, particularly in BC. It's mm -hmm. uh, but the federal government, I mean, under Mr. Trudeau, the public service has it's been growing by yeah. almost an exponential rate. And I would ask your viewers. Is the quantity or the qu quantity and quality of public services provided by the government of Canada better today than they were in 2015 or 2018? You'd be hard pressed to answer yes. So, what is this swelling labor force uh, that comes with index pensions, very generous benefits, and all the rest of it? What are they actually doing um, that uh, is necessary that wasn't being done in 2015? or 2018? It's, it's a hard question to answer. It's one that the federal government should be required to answer. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a Patreon supporter. Thank you to Audlin Brown and BD Developments for their support. Well, I think that it's important that we're asking these questions right now, looking at the trends that are going on, and hopefully it's a message that's being heard widely because we we're going to hit some inflection point here where something has to happen. Something's going to break or we've got to make changes. I agree. And on the question of how do we pay, you know, Canadians want, unlike maybe Americans, Canadians want a relatively generous welfare state. That may not be my preference, but that doesn't matter. I recognize that's what most of our citizens want. So you have to figure out how to pay for it. <clears throat> the Parliamentary Budget Office has done some long-term projections of fiscal sustainability for different levels of government of Canada. And what they show, those projections, is that the provinces are actually the ones that are in trouble in, in the long run because they're heavily exposed to the health cost explosion that is inevitable. Um, and they also deliver a lot of other services like education and social services that are quite labor intensive. So there's a lot of labor costs necessarily attached to that. Uh, a professor at the University of Calgary named uh, Trevor Tom did a, a study just kind of in 2020, right around the start of COVID. He said, what would happen if productivity growth, which has been very lackluster in Canada for more than 20 years, what would happen if we could raise productivity growth by half of 1% a year and then sustain that going forward? 
And what his simulation showed is that the fiscal problems that are going to come bearing down on all the provinces, including BC, in the coming decades, coming decades would largely disappear. If you had a more productive economy, you would have a larger tax base, you would have more income sources to, and, and consumption to tax, and so your revenue position as a province would be quite a bit better. So you could afford to provide the current kind of basket of services without having to ratchet taxes up, you know, sort of ad infinitum. So that study, I thought, was one of the most important that I've right. seen. Um, and you think our decision makers, you know, that's what they should be absorbing. I doubt most of them are even aware of it. Uh, but that's what they should be paying attention to, is how do we, you know, how do we build a more productive BC economy? Because that's how you grow the tax base over time, to pay for all the things that our left-wing governments apparently want to deliver. Yeah. Uh, and they're all very costly. So I just don't see how we get there unless we really build a more productive BC. So that's, that's my message to our decision makers. Well, it's a good one to be pondering this summer. Thank you, Jock, for uh, coming in and joining me today. Great, great to see you again. Mm -hmm. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a Patreon supporter. Thank you to Audlin Brown and BD Developments for their support.